This week on One Body Stewarding God's Creation, Dave Denuzzo talks about faith. That faith is a verb. How do we get young people to own their faith? Why is the culture a magnet away from the Catholic faith? Well, let's find out. Here's Dave Denuzzo being interviewed by Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger. But right now, we're going to welcome in Dave Denuzzo. Dave uh, graduated with a master's degree in pastoral theology, concentrating in evangelization and catechesis from the Augustan Institute in Denver. His undergraduate work is in business administration, concentrating in finance, and a minor in theology from Benedictine College. He is a theology professor at St. John's Catholic School in Beloit. He also runs a ministry and more can be found at truemanhood.com. Dave is married to Catherine, and the couple has four children. We'd like to welcome in this afternoon Dave Denuzzo. Hey, Dave, how are you today? I'm great, Ken. Thanks for having me on, and happy Feast of St. Joseph the Worker. It is today. That's uh, one of the two feast days of the year uh, for St. Joseph. And today, uh, well, first off, the, the topic for our Carathon this week, our theme is Faith in Action. Talk a little bit about faith and what it is. And I know you're going to get into a little bit about the intellect and will, but let's talk about the virtue of faith. Sure. So, uh, you know, I love to go from the actual definition of it, because I think it breaks it down. But then I want to definitely get into some practicality of how do we actually live this definition that comes out of the book. So the, the catechism, in a kind of a paraphrased explanation, describes faith as, one, it is a verb, it's an action, okay? So it involves these two parts called the intellect and the will. So it would say something to the extent of, the intellectual assent to God's divine revelation and the personal adherence to it. So this kind of challenges the idea that faith is blind and that we go into it unknowingly, um, because that's not really what we're doing here with the virtue of faith. So the intellectual assent, meaning to give over to, so we think with the intellect, we know with the intellect, this is, a, this is a very special gift that God gave us in creating humans. He gave us this ability to think and to know. And in that giving over to the God's divine revelation, these things He's revealed to us about who He is and about who we are. So the intellect is powerful. It's, it's really, really important. And we have to build that intellect. So we look at something maybe like a sunrise and a sunset, or the way that a flower grows, or the human body. Any of these examples, these are ways God reveals himself. And we can know those things, like, concretely. We can see them. We can feel them. They're tangible. We can, we can sense them, all, all kinds of different things. But faith doesn't just rest in our knowledge. It doesn't just rest in our intellect, we have to also use the will, the ability to, to do or to choose. And when we choose to give over to God's divine revelation, meaning that, okay, God, I know you're God and I'm not, then we have this personal adherence 
to God's divine revelation, and the intellect and the will work together to create this action of faith. So it is very tangible, and it can grow. It can also decrease. So faith is a verb because it is action on our part, the ability to know or to think, and to do and to choose. God could have created us differently. He could have made us just another one of the animals or another one of his creations. But he gives us this freedom to think and to know with the intellect and to do and to choose with the will. And that ability to have free will, it actually makes us free. And that allows us to be free for something. Our world misses this. Our world doesn't understand this. When we talk about or think about the cultural understanding of freedom, it's freedom from. But we're created freedom for, freedom for relationship with God, freedom for love. And that is why faith is so, so vital, because we have to continually choose to learn things, to build our faith, and then to control the will, to be able to make better choices so that our will does not control us, but that we are in control of the will, and that we can unite it perfectly to God's divine will, which is ultimately going to make us the most free, it's going to make us the most happy and fulfilled, and ultimately be where we end up with Him in heaven. So considering what you've described so far, Dave, how does someone live their faith, and and what does it mean to put that faith into action? Great. So... This is, again, uh, a, and it's an area where people get confused, because a lot of times I hear people saying things like, well, faith, uh, you know, we have to allow faith to change us, and we have to, uh, you know, kind of go blindly by, by, you know, things that happen around us. And there's some merit to that, but we are in charge of our own intellect and our own will, and but it's not to make it for us. It's not for just me. Like, hey, Dave, look. Look at how great my intellect and will are. It's not for that at all. It's for the glory of God. And so the way that the, way that the intellect and will play a part here is, and, and why it's just so vitally important is because it changes us. It can change us. Now, we can also backslide. We can lose faith. If we, if we don't, if we're not formed well, we don't have these, this proper understanding of, of God, and that's, that's a whole other conversation of how do we know all these things for sure about God, and we don't because He's, he's a mystery. Otherwise, if, if God showed us everything now, if we knew everything about God, He wouldn't be God. So, yeah, I think the intellect and the will, we have to continually build them, we have to build them because on our, on our journey towards virtue, what I would re- refer to as the steep upward climb, this is a long, treacherous climb up to get to virtue, to ultimately be able to love God and be with Him in heaven. It's, it's long, and it can be very treacherous, and it's very easy to slide backwards. So if our faith and our will aren't worked on daily— we will slide back, and we can, because of sin and, the, and the, the realities of the consequences of sin, we can, we can slide back very quickly. And 
you know, God knew this about us in our, in our nature that we, we choose ourselves. We choose selfishness and we choose pride and we, we choose to lack trust, which is a key component to faith. And when we do that and we fall into sin, he gave us a method to come back to him through the sacraments and to repair that relationship. And it's just a constant work. Uh, this is why faith is a verb. It is an action. It has to, it has to be a daily endeavor. Or, you know, you could just shut it off, and then life can just happen to you, and you'll find yourself maybe in a, a place of despair or true difficulty, and and that's a, that can be a very scary place to be. And thank goodness for the sacrament of reconciliation, one of those uh, much-needed things that, or at least for me, uh, seems like I need that uh, more often than not. Let's kind of talk a little bit more about, you know, you've you've described faith here and all of the virtues as verbs. Kind of expound on this for us, if you would. Sure. So I think when we discuss virtue, we could make it very academic. Or we can make it really practical. So I kind of want to make it practical about the specifics. How do I actually do this? How does a person actually build their faith? How do they work on the intellect and work on the will? So here's a couple suggestions for working on the intellect. The intellect is knowing and thinking. So we have to be consuming things to know, and we have to actually be practically thinking. So here's, here's maybe just a couple suggestions. One, the Scriptures. The Scriptures are God's divine Word. They are living, and it is living and effective. And the Bible is Catholic. It is our book. We should know it. We should know the covenants. We should know the key players. We should know what God is doing. We should know the Gospels. And daily Scripture reading... And, and it may be listening to it. There's a lot of great resources out there to listen to the Scriptures. or actually getting into them and reading them. You can get them sent to you via apps and via email. There are so many ways to consume the Scriptures daily that we should be able to do that. So God's divine Word coming into us, into our minds, expanding our minds, that is actual knowledge. Okay, so that's a great place to start. And if you don't know where to start in the Scriptures, I have a few suggestions. One, you could just read the readings from each daily Mass and begin to do some meditation on those. The process of Lexio Divina is a great resource and a great style of prayer to increase the intellect. And also listening to the, uh, the scholars and listening to the saints about what they've said about the Scriptures and these commentaries that are available Really, really great resource. So that's my first suggestion, is to build the intellect by reading the Scriptures. The second would be by reading the lives of the saints and their writings, because what they're doing is they're paving the path towards full knowledge. Okay, so when we get to heaven, we will know God and we will see God as He is. That's called the beatific vision, and that's our goal. That's our aim, to be saints, to be in heaven with God. So... The great, uh, a great way to do that is by reading these writings of the saints and seeing what they did in their lives, how they practically built their faith, and following their example. Another would just be spiritual writing. Now, we have to be very careful what we read, 
and be able to think about it and and make good decisions on what is being read and what is being consumed. But the faith can be broken down and can be explained in so so many beautiful ways, and there are just endless endless resources for great knowledge and. It's not, again, it's not knowledge just to say, hey, look at how smart I am. It's knowledge to say, God, I know you better today than I did yesterday. And when I know you better, I can continue to build my will to follow you better. And it's a lot like any relationship. We have to know the person more. Uh, spousal relationship is a, is a, great, ex- a great explanation. I need to spend time learning about my wife, learning by talking. Okay, so that's an act of faith and an act of building the intellect by prayer. So those, those kinds of, you know, the, the understanding the scriptures, reading the lives of the saints, and prayer, those are great ways to build the intellect. Now, it goes into then the will Building the will, here's some practical ways you can build the will. Sacraments, number one. Constant, frequent reception of the Eucharist. Well, right now it's very difficult, almost impossible. So spiritual communions are fantastic. Um, Apparently, St. Maximilian Kolbe would do it every 15 minutes. He would make a spiritual communion. That's intense, and that's incredible. So spiritual communion, but when penance is available, to make penance, okay, this is, a, this is amazing. Lord, I've been living a particular way, and now I want to live the way you're calling me to live. Forgive me for my sinfulness. Help me turn my life back to you so that my will can be yours and not the other way around. Okay? And then acts of service. Uh, the corporal works of mercy, the spiritual works of mercy, this is taking it, not my will. This, I don't do this for payment. I don't do this for recognition. I do this for the glory of God and for the benefit of neighbor. And those are just some practical ways that can actually build faith. Um, and they're daily. They're, and, and, you know, it takes some work. It takes some act, actual effort to, to do these things, but they're not, they're not outlandish. They're not out of sight. They are practical, everyday things that we should be doing. I, I find it really interesting, Dave. You talked about um, Maximilian Colby and, and that spiritual communion every 15 minutes. That's just amazing. Yeah, apparently when the chime on the clock would go, it was a good reminder to him, and he would make a spiritual act of communion. You know, it takes just a few seconds. But that, that, that's why he's a saint, right? Because he did the little things, but he did them with great love, very very similar to you know, St. Therese and, and that kind of model of, uh, you know, you don't have to be world-known, you know, worldwide recognition. You don't have to be the smartest guy in the room. But these acts of love to, to change the will, I mean, and I know I don't do this. I try to make a spiritual communion every day, but he's, he's setting the bar very, very high. And that shouldn't scare us. We should just say, hey, okay. He did it every, you know, every 15 minutes. I can definitely do it every day. What are some practical ways for people to put faith into action? Sure. So faith being made practical is really 
it's very attainable. It's very attainable. So I mentioned reading the scriptures. I mentioned reading the lives of the saints. But we, we don't want to just do these intellectual pursuits for themselves. It's so that by our choices, we can actually be different. So uh, let's just look at what's going on right now liturgically in the readings for this time of year in the, in the liturgical season of Easter. We look at the lives of the saints and the Acts of the Apostles, and what they did is they walked with Christ, they learned from Him, they had this great knowledge, they, they saw Him, because God revealed, again, the intellect is this intellectual ascent, this giving over to God's divine revelation. The, the apostles, the disciples, walked with Christ. They saw Him heal people. They saw Him transfigure. They saw him do the passion and, and, and saw his journey uh, to crucifixion. And they saw him after the resurrection. They saw him in his, in his resurrected body. So they had that knowledge, right? And then what did they do? Well, Christ ascends and the Holy Spirit comes down, which we're going to be getting to Pentecost here in, in the next few weeks. Liturgically, the Acts of the Apostles show that these followers of Christ, they healed people. I mean, the shadow of Peter, St. Peter's shadow was healing people. This is incredible. They had such knowledge of God that it actually changed them. So why do we expect it as any different for us? That's what Jesus is calling us to be. He's calling us to be apostles now to be his followers now, and to bring others into the truth. And that's a, the truth is so important when we talk about faith. This is not, I get to make up my truth, and you get to make up your truth. It's not moral relativism here. There is the truth, the absolute objective truth, and we have to work to grow in knowledge of that. That's why when we make it practical, why we read the Scriptures, we read the lives of the saints, but we can also use life experience. You know, I, there was a period of time in my life when I thought I knew everything. I was a much younger man, and I thought I had all the knowledge in the world, and I thought Catholicism was wrong. And I was looking at what I thought I knew, not at what I could actually learn, and I'm still not there, certainly, when I was a younger man and it took me away from the church, I thought I knew everything. I thought, well, clearly I have this right, and clearly the Catholic Church has it wrong. Well, that didn't work out. I couldn't run from the truth anymore once I actually availed myself to it. Okay, so I'm in college, and I'm learning all these things, and I'm seeing how it plays out in the Scriptures, and I'm seeing how it plays out in everyday life, and the dots begin to be connected and things begin to make more sense, but the intellect is not the final pursuit. Okay? We cannot separate the intellect and the will here. That's, that's a really important thing about faith. The virtue of faith has to have both parts together. Ultimately, and I, I, this, is probably, this is probably the most practical, most important piece of this, you build faith not for faith as its own end. Faith is not the end. Faith builds so that we can have hope. When we have the theological virtue of hope, 
which is desiring heaven as our happiness. And that's really, I mean, we all want this. You know, we walk around and, you know, when people say, you want to go, well, we want heaven. We want, we want the best for ourselves. We want true happiness. We want true fulfillment. We want to be made whole. We want to be made free. Well, hope is not the end-all, be-all either. It leads us to the virtue of love, right, where we, want, we desire the good of the other. We don't choose it for ourselves. We want to glorify God in all things, right? We would lay down our lives for our friends. This is Christ on the cross, and this is what he's calling us to as well. And that's why we build the faith, the virtue of faith, so that over and over, every day, practically, we can know God better, so that we, when we know God better, we can choose God better. We can't make these choices. I mean, we really put ourselves in the place of, like, toddlers if we don't learn things. If we don't take the practicality of our faith, and, and this, gets, this gets confused, Faith is not blind. We don't just believe things because the church tells us to. The, the church has never suggested that. It, we have to conform the will. So the church is going to teach us things. You may be wrestling with these things. Why does the church teach this, or why does the church teach that? Why did St. Augustine say this, or why did St. Irenaeus say that? Well, it takes intellect to go and learn those things. It may not sit well with you right now. But I want to encourage people to wrestle with it and encourage people to, to really contemplate this. Another great thing to grow in faith is to have conversations with people, small groups, Bible studies, book studies, uh, doing meetings over Zoom. Uh, you know, Wednesday night I taught, a, I taught a scripture class over Zoom. It works. Is it the same thing as being in person? It's not. But we're in the Word, and we're, we're studying it, and, and people can ask questions. That's an important part of faith, too and to be guided by not only the lives of the saints, but by our pastors and by our friends who are, we're all striving for this. So let's help each other in this, you know, so it's not blind. It's, it's just continual, continual growth. It's struggling through the things that we uh, maybe don't understand. We need to take a short break right now, but whether you're listening via radio, computer, phone app, or on Amazon Echo, please know we'll be right back with more from Dave Denuzzo. We're back on Divine Mercy Radio with One Body Stewarding God's Creation. Faith is a verb. With Dave Denuzzo. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Dave Denuto about uh, faith as a verb here. And of course, we, Dave, we sometimes hear that people are either struggling with their faith or maybe they've lost their faith. Um, how, does that, how does that happen? Sure. Uh, this is, this is uh, something that was close to me, that my faith, especially the true understanding of the faith through Christ's church, yeah, it's just life gets, gets going. We have these particular habits and tendencies. They may be maybe sinful. I mean, we do have those sinful tendencies, but for me, it was just 
too much reliance on the self. And I think a lot of men find themselves in this place that, you know, what the world tells us, we have to be self-reliant and we don't ask for help. There's no vulnerability. There's just you. So get it figured out, you know. And I thought that uh, in order to be a man, that I had to kind of make my own path and make my own way. And so what happened was I fell away from a true understanding of, of who and what God, you know, who God was and what he was doing. And thankfully, I had great people around me to challenge that. And for me, it was really, it was an intellectual pursuit. It, it was, you know, the emotions are certainly involved in this, but the intellect does not rely on the emotions. And I think that is a very, very common place where people lose their faith. Okay. For instance, something happens, some sort of tragedy, uh, maybe the loss of a loved one, maybe the loss of a job or a career path, or maybe it's something like an injury that is debilitating or, you know, that changes some sort of trajectory in someone's life. And these little areas that are very emotionally difficult, they kind of get in there and they take root. And we don't rely on the intellect to truly know what's going on. And we make that our God. We make whatever that situation was more, more true than anything else. And it can really derail a person from that desire to have relationship with God. And I find it very, very interesting. I bet if people think about this, you would probably have either the same experience yourself or have seen it in others. That when things are good, there's very little talk about God. When things are bad, we constantly blame him. And I think that dichotomy is, it's got to be a challenge there for all of us to say, do you just blame God? Is he your go-to scapegoat? Oh, things got bad. God did this. Well, did you see all the good things? Right? And that's not how God works, obviously. Uh, He doesn't deal us a deck of cards and, you know, we have whatever hand it to us. That's not how it works, but that's how we frequently take it. So people can lose their faith because of a lot of things, a lot of situations. Another very common one is because they see someone else who's not living right or not doing things right, or they see the sin of somebody, right? I'm the first one to stand up and say, I'm a sinner. I make bad choices. I damage my relationship with God not proud of it, but it's a reality. That's why I go to penance so frequently, because I need him. But the people will see others who are struggling, making bad choices, or some sort of, you know, catastrophic thing will happen, and they'll use it as, a, as, their, as their excuse. And those are, they're, in reality, though, practically, those are very hard situations. But it doesn't mean that we need to lose our faith. That's when we really need to dive deeper into learning about God. 
deeper into the intellectual pursuit and deeper into conforming our will to his. What can people do to prevent a struggle of faith or losing their faith? What are some, some practical tips on, on how people can do that? Well, I think, I think this is really, really important. The key here, my, my suggestion is just what the Church would say, and that's stay close to the sacraments. Okay, so the reason we want to live virtue in and of itself, the whole reason is so that we can love. And in order to be able to love, we have to be better than we naturally are. And in order to do that, we need grace. And grace is just, I mean, simply put, it's God's free gift of himself. And he gives us this free gift of himself so that we can actually be Catholic superheroes. He wants us to be saints. And to grow in virtue, it requires practice on our part. So this is the, the intellectual sense of the, the adherence above the will, those two parts for sure. But then also God's part is the, the gift of grace. So he gives it to us primarily through the sacraments. So when we're baptized, we're brought into the life of grace. When we go to penance, we are continually receiving His grace to repair the relationship that we've damaged due to sin. We receive the Eucharist, and we are receiving grace from spiritual communion, folks. We are. It's not sacramental grace. But we are still receiving grace because God knows our hearts. He knows that we desire to receive the sacramental grace, and He's giving it to us. And through living out your marriage well. So, so spousal grace, you know, marital grace is real. Marriage is a sacrament. It is there to confer, to give grace to us. And anybody who's been married any amount of time knows that their spouse deserves grace <laughs> for putting up with us, right? Because each spouse knows that we're not perfect. And in our confirmation, the sacrament of confirmation, especially for those who are coming into the church, right? We've maybe, we've missed Easter Vigil, and there's probably some catechumens or uh, candidates out there, or even, even teenagers that missed confirmation so far. That gift of grace, that gift of the Spirit to make you a saint— to let you have these virtues and have these gifts and fruits of the Spirit, it's not just some fake thing. It is so real, and it is so tangible that these, these areas, these gifts of grace help us to become better. And to prevent losing our faith, we have to stay close to the sacraments. And, you know, priests out there and the deacons and the priests and the bishops, they have to stay close to, the, to their call in holy orders. And at the end of our lives, to be able to receive an anointing, all of these things, they all call us into closer relationship with God. And if we don't recognize the importance of grace, we will step away from that relationship, and there'll be a gap, there'll be a, a crevice 
that creates problems between God and ourselves. And if you look in Scripture, especially every time the covenants are broken, it is because the people have chosen their own ways and not God's ways. And that creates that barrier that a lot of times people just, they lost faith, and they just think it's not it's not capable of being overcome and being repaired. And that's maybe the saddest thing when people lose faith is it's able to be gained back. It just has to be the will. We have to, we have to choose to come back to God. Dave, what do you say to people who have lost faith or specifically to parents who maybe have children who've left the church? That's always a tough one, especially I know so many parents who have really done a great job of, of forming and the, raising their kids in the faith. But yet, even through all of that, sometimes the kids walk away from the faith. Uh, what What's some, uh, some things you can tell them? Sure. Well, for those parents out there who have lost, you maybe have uh, adult children who have left the faith or uh, maybe even teenagers that are in the process, you know, it looks like they're losing the faith. I just want to apologize and let you know that um, you don't have to be alone in that. There are a lot of people out there. Uh, if, you, if you isolate and, you know, you don't talk about it, maybe it's embarrassing or, you know, it's, you, you try to kind of make excuses for it, that's not going to help. Uh, that's not going to help. It may, it, it's like a Band-Aid. You know, it may cover it up for a little while, but... Uh, that wound is still there. So um, there's a reality here that at, at the heart of that decision to lose faith, because it is an actual decision. I mean, some people think, well, it just kind of happened. It, it doesn't just kind of happen. It's, it's all about what is, being, what, what is influencing their intellect. If, if all they're consuming is garbage, it's like garbage in, garbage out. Holiness in, holiness out. And in our culture, it is so difficult to consume holiness because the garbage, the culture, is so loud and so prevalent and so easily consumed that it is definitely a battle. So at the, at the beginning part of this, if you're a parent out there who has a child who has left the faith, you have to give yourself the understanding allow yourself to know that they're an adult and they have made their own choice. That choice is on them. Now, it may have some aspect of their upbringing or things that happen, and it certainly does. And there may be some culpability on the part of the parent. And, you know, I, I left the faith as an adult. I didn't blame my parents. I felt like they, they did the best they could. I feel like they were trying, but I made that choice. They didn't leave the faith. I left the faith. So I, I don't blame my parents for that. Uh, you know, when I, when I told my mom I was leaving the church, and I didn't do this like a uh, – I, I couldn't do it face-to-face. I had to write a letter. It was very cowardly of me to say, hey, you know what? I'm not Catholic anymore. Don't call me Catholic. Don't tell people I'm Catholic. Uh, I don't believe in this stuff. It's not happening. You know, that was, that was terrible. It was really hard on my mom. But at the same point, I can't live my faith because my mom does, because my dad does, or, you know, grandma wants this for me. The individual has to choose it. And so 
for parents out there, if you've lost a child, I want to just suggest that you have conversations with them, not to try to convert them back, but to give them an example, a model of how to live the faith, the realities of that. And there are people who are going to leave the faith and they're never going to come back. And we're seeing this widespread among people in their you know, teenagers, 20s, 30s, 40s, all the way up. The culture is so prevalent, and it, it is so loud that it does become a, a major, it's like a magnet. You know, it pulls people away, and when they're stuck to the culture, it seems impossible to break away from that. And for the parents, it's, it's their, they made the choice. So you can't beat yourself up. You aren't their parent, but you're not their savior. So if you feel like something you've done has pushed them away or has done this, then have the conversation. Apologize. I think apologies are a great place to start. You know, if I did something to push you away or if I forced you into this or forced you into that, you know, have some humility, make the apology, ask for, ask for forgiveness, but then try to try to mend that relationship and if you can actually have a conversation with your adult child about about real things about the faith then try to have those conversations you don't have to have all the answers cuz none of us do don't have to be the one who brings them back again you're not their savior uh you can't hear their confessions you can't uh, you can't get into the nitty gritty with people, but that it's just, it is such a hard topic and it's, there are resources out there. There's lots of, lots of good books. And I think though, maybe the most practical thing about helping people who've left the faith is by living your faith in a way that they see it and they're going to be drawn to it. So if you truly are living differently than the world, your adult children are going to see that, and they're going to know, yeah, there's something different about dad. There's something different about mom. Maybe maybe we should talk about this. Maybe I want that. And, um, yeah, each situation is so unique and, and difficult. So don't give up hope. Try to continue to live your faith, but just know that they, they made the decision. Dave, thanks so much for spending a little time with us this afternoon. If you don't mind sharing, maybe we've got a couple minutes left. You talked about the fact that you left the faith and, and eventually came back. What was it that that drew you away from the faith, and then what finally brought you back to the faith? And we've got, you know, three or four minutes left. If you can kind of uh, m- maybe give us a summary in that time. Well, yeah, a, a big part of my leaving the faith was I simply didn't know it. I had been in church every Sunday and was an altar server and went to CCD, but I just didn't know the faith. No one really ever taught it to me properly and not in a way that stuck. And I had some evangelical friends, and I started getting involved in Bible study when I was about 14 years old. And the lack of knowledge about Scripture drew me away so that I could believe that I could interpret Scripture myself. And so that was a that was a big draw that uh, I could I could really do whatever I wanted as an evangelical, and so eventually I left the church and became evangelical. But kind of deeper than 
than just the lack of knowledge was a lot of sin. And I could kind of justify, you know, as an evangelical, you don't have to go to confession. Uh, as an evangelical, there's no rules. You just do whatever you want. And uh, it was probably a bit of, of that, you know, the hedonism of just being able to live however I want. I could profess out in public that, hey, I love Jesus, but I could also just do whatever I wanted. So there was kind of a lack of accountability. And that's, that's a big deal with, with faith is if you're trying to go it alone, yeah, it's not going to work very well. Um, there are the cases here and there where there are kind of individuals that, that are, become saints, but a lot of saints, they come in pairs or they come in groups. And so when I got to college, I had these amazing people around me. Hey, they were challenging me. They were saying, hey, what you believe is, you know, not exactly right. And it's not what the church says. And here's what the church says. Here's why it says it. And, you know, why don't you wrestle with that? Why don't you pray about that? Why don't you, you know, take this a little bit further? And if I hadn't had those people and I hadn't had the opportunity to learn it, I don't know where I'd be. Uh, I bet I would have left any sort of faith at all, and I bet that I would have, you know, I would be in despair, I would imagine. But thankfully, to be able to come back to the church, to be able to continually learn, I'm reading a great book right now, Jesus and the um, Jewish Roots of the Eucharist by Dr. Brant Petrie. Oh, yeah. It's fantastic. It's like, it's so clear. It's so amazing. And I know this stuff, but it's like I keep reading the book, and it's, there's more and more and more and more. And I just keep, I just keep reading, and um, you know, people ask me a lot, "What are you reading?" Well, I've started like nine books right now. I'm in the middle of nine different books or something. But just the knowledge of the faith, it's so beautiful, and it it speaks to us differently depending on what's going on in life. And you know, I'm getting ready to have teenage daughters, and I need to, you know, learn different things to be able to help them and still help my little children and. Uh, my students and grow in my marriage and all these things. We can't stop the pursuit. We have to continue the, the pursuit. And I want to be a good man. I want to be a saint. So it's it's not going to just happen. I can't just sit back. I have to be very active in this. That's why faith is a verb. Yeah, great stuff, Dave. As always, we, we're so glad you joined us again this afternoon. And and uh, yeah, the, that book by Dr. I love Brant Petrie. I think he does a great job. And and uh, um, that's one that I actually I've got a copy of that book. I started reading and haven't been able to finish that, which I need to do because he, he, he is a, a great resource for sure. Dave Denuto, yeah. thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thank you. God bless everybody. And happy feast of St. Joseph the Worker. All right. Dave, take care. Thanks a lot. Thanks for tuning into One Body Stewarding God's Creation. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts. See you next week. One body. One body.